If you want to understand the extraordinary times in which we're living, regular study and teaching of Bible prophecy must never be ignored, especially as Jesus himself said that his promised return would occur when all the major signs merge within a single generation. I'm wondering, is our generation that generation? The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by you, the viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. Bible scholars say that 27% of the Bible is prophetic, meaning there are approximately 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. We believers haven't been left in the dark. Bible prophecy is history written in advance for our benefit and for God's glory. Only God knows the future, and the reason that God knows the future is because he has foreordained the future, and he has recorded much of the future as a guide for us in the Holy Scriptures. Jesus gave a major discourse on end-time events, and it was so important that it's recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. In Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, and Luke chapter 21. Jesus' disciples had asked him directly, When will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Jesus answered with a catalog of signs that would lead up to his second coming. You see, the Lord's mission on earth was far from over. Because the Jewish people did not receive him at his first coming, the Lord gave his disciples the task of preaching the gospel all around the world to every nation. Then he said, when the end time signs increase like birth pains, his return to set up the kingdom on earth would occur within one generation. Verily I say unto you, Jesus declared in Matthew 24, 34, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So now, with the way things are going and the number of end time signs that are converging concurrently, it's safe to ask, could this be the final generation? But you say every generation has thought theirs was the last generation prior to the Lord's return, and they have always been wrong. But perhaps they were wrong because they never figured out that there are a number of Bible prophecies that simply could never be fulfilled until our highly technological generation. First of all, human beings have not had the weaponry to annihilate ourselves until our times. But with the development of nuclear weaponry and intercontinental ballistic missiles, Jesus prophesied that the end time will have to be cut short or else no living thing could survive. But for the sake of God's chosen people, he said the days will be shortened. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 22, that if God does not intervene in world affairs, the human race will wipe itself out. 
This is because, tragically, war is inbred in the hearts of unregenerate mankind. So human beings in our generation have finally reached the technology for self-annihilation. Both Russia and the United States have developed bombs, and the world lives on edge knowing that mutual destruction is a real possibility, especially if bombs fall into the hands of belligerent mullahs in Iran. What is the other major sign that had to happen that no other generation has witnessed until now? Well, I share about this all the time, but it always bears repeating due to the hard hearts and closed ears in the churches. A Jewish homeland had to be reestablished once again in the Middle East. In Jesus' end-time briefing to his disciples, known as the Olivet Discourse, he said that Jerusalem will be in the hands once again of the Jewish people. And thus Jerusalem will be the central focus of upheavals prior to his return. Jesus had prophesied in Luke 21, 24, that the Jews would fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem would be trodden down by the Gentiles forever. No, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, he said. The Bible is its own best commentary, and Zechariah chapter 12 amplifies this end-time scenario with God declaring, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against the Jews inhabiting the land of Israel and Jerusalem. And God said it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, and all who will try to heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. God says it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. It's possible to apply these verses to previous events in history because Jerusalem has been fought over repeatedly. But the context in the following chapters in Zechariah make it clear that this is future events when Israel will finally receive an outpouring and a saving knowledge of Messiah. Furthermore, it wasn't until after the Six-Day War of June 1967 that prophecies concerning Jerusalem and the mountains of Israel were fulfilled making those territories a target for a future invasion that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, and that will be led by a coalition from the north. That invasion could not have happened before our generation because those territories prior to 1948-1967 were not under Israeli sovereignty. Think about that. Furthermore, the stage is being set for the invasion upon the mountains of Israel because the strategic Golan Heights under the Trump administration were acknowledged as belonging to Israel. But that was not the case only a few years ago. Another sign hallmarked by Jesus that applies to our generation is mentioned in Matthew 24, 14. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. That's another prophecy that was 
not possible to be applied to previous generations until the advancement of communications, radio, TV, satellites, and the Internet. In fact, the Internet is penetrating borders that even satellite TV and radio haven't been able to penetrate. Week by week, we are amazed the number of countries that even our broadcast are reaching. But the sign of all signs that has not been present in any generation until now is the re-emergence of the state of Israel in 1948. That is the marker that no other generation has had, making this present generation a candidate to witness the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come. The Bible said the Jews would return, and they did after nearly 1,900 years. Such a return to a homeland has never happened before in history. Furthermore, according to Bible prophecy, the Middle East will be in crisis in the last days. And just to repeat Matthew 24, 34, Jesus said the generation alive at that time will by no means pass away till all these things take place. And furthermore, Luke 21, 28 adds, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Many Bible prophecies have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Yet there are many more prophecies to be fulfilled at the Lord's second coming. These are specific prophecies concerning the return of Jesus to rule the earth in the kingdom that will be restored to Israel. God will restore the kingdom to Israel with Jesus as King Messiah because God is a faithful covenant-keeping God and he has not rejected his covenant people, the Jews. However, there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled prior to the catching away of the completed company in the church. There's simply no prophecy that must be fulfilled before the event known in Scripture as the rapture. It can happen at any moment, and the sudden appearing of our Savior is indeed our blessed hope. So says Titus 2.13. We look for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. He's the only one who can save this planet from the tyranny of the new world order and all of its censorship and creeping control. The stage is being set for the end times and for a sinister global economy that will be controlled for a short season by an antichrist figure under the new world order. And of course, there are already weapons of mass destruction as well as biological warfare being cooked up in creepy labs capable of bringing about the catastrophes predicted in the book of Revelation. COVID has been nothing by comparison with the plagues that are described by the book of Revelation during the Great Tribulation. But today, I want to submit to you one of the hottest end-time prophecies that is in the process right now of coming to pass. And that's the rebuilding of a third temple in Jerusalem. This is a big topic in Bible prophecy, and it's also mentioned in the New Testament. The very real possibility of a third temple is a sign that no other generation has had. All the implements of temple worship have already been created by industrious and devoted visionaries. 
Right now, we're living in the time period between the second temple, which was destroyed in 70 AD, and a third temple, which the Jews are preparing in Jerusalem. Hardly a week goes by without some Temple Mount controversy in Jerusalem for fear that the Jews are going to build their house of worship. As Pastor Andy Woods has said in one of his prophecy updates, Israel is God's hour hand on his end time clock. Jerusalem is God's minute hand. And when attention moves to the temple itself, we're watching the clock's second hand. Said another way, Israel is the center of the world. Jerusalem is the center of Israel. And the flashpoint is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem itself. Constant riots on the Temple Mount prove how restless and desperate Satan is because he knows his time is short. The Hebrew prophets all proclaim that in the last days, the exiles of Israel will return to the promised land and restoration of their temple will be their greatest ambition. Ezekiel chapter 37 is the chapter that predicted the dry bones of the nation of Israel coming back to life in their own land. And Ezekiel 37, 28 predicts, Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is amongst them forever. Furthermore, in Amos chapter 9, God promised, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild ruined cities and live in them. They're going to plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. He said, I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. While all of this Bible prophecy is unfolding before our eyes, many blind skeptics in the church promote erroneous replacement theology and dare to believe the lie that God has rejected the Jews and that Israel has somehow been rebirthed by accident like some sort of political anomaly. Yet we must ask, what does the Bible teach? We find from Scripture in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that God has never rejected His people Israel. Isaiah 41 and verse 9 declares, You, Israel, I have called from the ends of the earth. I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you, and I have not rejected you. Paul wrote, the book of Romans around the theme of salvation and how God has not rejected his people Israel. But he said, the Lord has the power and the will to save them and to graft them back into God's family tree. So just as the Jewish prophets foretold, the Jewish people are returning to the homeland from the four corners of the earth after 19 centuries of global exile. And we're watching the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 43 in verses 5 and 6 concerning Israel, where God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up into the south. Do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. While all of this activity called in Hebrew Aliyah is happening, preparations are well underway to build that third temple. Rabbi Moses Maimonides, known as the Ramban, 
a medieval Jewish philosopher and Torah scholar, explained that the temple has significance, first of all, to reveal to mankind the divine presence of God, and secondly, to facilitate the offering of sacrifices. However, since the destruction of the second temple in A.D. 70, the Jewish people could no longer offer sacrifices. In fact, did you know that more than 200 of the 613 commandments in the Torah cannot be performed without a temple? The Jewish people presently worship in their local synagogues, and instead of offering the required animal sacrifices, they now offer prayer, repentance, and charity. Many Christians believe that animal sacrifices are absolutely passe, that Jesus was the final sacrifice. And as far as salvation is concerned, that is theologically true. However, according to Bible prophecy, sacrifices will be reinstituted again during the millennium in a fourth temple as memorials of the Lamb of God, memorials of the atoning death of Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name. According to the prophet Ezekiel, in a future fourth and grander temple, the prescribed sacrifices will be offered. But there's also going to be a third temple built either prior to or during the Great Tribulation period that will be defiled by the prophesied Antichrist. The prophet Daniel and Jesus, as well as the apostle Paul, they all prophesied that the future sinister figure known as Anti-Messiah will defile the third temple before the return of the true Messiah. And both Daniel and Jesus referred to the temple's defilement as an act called the abomination of desolation. In fact, in Matthew 24, Jesus warned about the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. And he added for the future generation that sees it, let the reader understand. According to the prophet Daniel in Daniel 9.26, the Messiah would be cut off before the second temple was destroyed. That prophecy stated the Mashiach, the Messiah, will be cut off and have nothing and the people of the prince or ruler, in Hebrew, Nagid, who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. This prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70 with the destruction of the temple, just 40 years after Jesus Hamashiach was cut off by execution on a cross. But the prophecy is yet to be fulfilled concerning the prince or ruler Nagid in Hebrew, a.k.a. the Antichrist. Furthermore, Daniel recorded that the Anti-Messiah will confirm a covenant of peace for one week, which is interpreted by Bible scholars as seven years. But he will break that covenant in the middle of the terms of the covenant after three and a half years. This Anti-Messiah will also proclaim himself to be God. And how do we know this? Well, there's a very important prophecy by the Apostle Paul. He wrote in 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, that the man of lawlessness will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up where, Paul wrote, 
he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So there you have it. There's going to be a third temple. So all this talk and action about a temple is highly prophetic. In the Bible, in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, there was no temple. Then during the exodus from Egypt, God met with Moses in a tent called the Tent of Meeting. And this tent was transported into the Promised Land and was later followed by the Tabernacle of David. Then David's son Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem, which was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. A second temple was destroyed on the same day in 70 AD by the Romans. And now in the rapidly closing church age, believers are referred to in the New Testament as the temple of God because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within individual believers. But after the rapture of the church, a third temple will be known as the tribulation temple because it will be the house of God that the Antichrist will enter and defile, brazenly declaring himself as God. And then will come a fourth temple during the millennial rule of Messiah when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem. This fourth temple prophesied by Ezekiel will be much grander. In Ezekiel chapter 43, the prophet envisioned the rebuilding of God's dwelling place in the holy city of Jerusalem. However, in the end, in Revelation 21, 22, the apostle John sees no temple in the New Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. John went on to explain the city won't need the sun or the moon to shine, for the glory of God will give its light and the Lamb will be its lamp. The nations will walk by this light and the kings of the earth will bring the glory and honor of their nations into the New Jerusalem. Nothing impure will ever enter it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So there you have it. Today, there are many Israeli organizations making feverish preparations for the third temple and for the reinstatement of sacrificial worship. One of these organizations is the Temple Institute, and it's one of the most prolific in putting forth visionary plans. The Temple Institute has a very active Facebook page. Other organizations also have potentially viable plans. For example, one group proposes pitching a tabernacle-style tent on the Temple Mount, which would speed up the end-time scenario significantly, literally overnight, because pitching a tabernacle is obviously much easier and less intrusive than building a building. Another organization proposes constructing a synagogue in one of the corners of the Temple Mount platform. Meanwhile, several books have been written suggesting that the original site of the temple was not the Temple Mount per se, but rather the area in the nearby city of David near the Gihon Spring. And so construction of a third temple in the city of David could conceivably begin right away and presumably avoid most of the controversy of the area known as the Temple Mount or the Haram al-Sharif to the Arabs. Regardless of its future location, the temple's ritual garments and vessels have already been designed and created. The golden menorah, the temple's seven-branched candelabra, has been crafted and is already on display in the old city's Jewish quarter. 
Also ready now are many Levitical musical instruments, silver trumpets and harps to worship the Lord, just as King David did 3,000 years ago. The Temple Institute School is training certified DNA-tested priests to perform temple services, and many of these services are being rehearsed. And a final element, a red heifer, is being bred in Israel to be sacrificed in a Torah-prescribed ritual purification ceremony. In fact, everything is ready for the third temple, except, as I said, for one thing, its location. Since the liberation of the Temple Mount in 1967, Arabs have made great competitive efforts to claim the entire 37-acre platform. They call it the Aram al-Sharif, meaning the noble sanctuary. And the Muslim narrative has definitely changed with the times. A pre-state visitor's guide to the area published by Muslim authorities in 1925 acknowledged that the territory was once the site of Solomon's temple. The guide clearly stated that, quote, this site is one of the oldest in the world and its identity with the site of Solomon's temple is beyond dispute, end quote. So in 1925, the Muslims affirmed the biblical history that they now are trying to erase. Bible prophecy scholars say that only a man of peace who will be accepted by both Jews and Muslims will be able to broker a plan that would allow the Jewish people to worship the Lord in a temple on the mount where King David originally purchased territory. But we want to say, Israel, beware. Daniel 9.27 predicts that this great deal maker, better known as the anti-Messiah, will break the peace plan and Isaiah 28, 18 calls it a covenant with death that will be annulled. Well, in the meantime, we have a job to do to reach the world with the gospel of salvation while there's still time. My friends, this indeed is a critical hour for the church to awaken from its sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let's lay aside deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Which brings me to a testimony I recently heard by a Messianic believer named Shlomi. He said he decided to do a favor for all the believers who were witnessing to him and taking him to church. So he did them a favor by praying the sinner's prayer. But guess what? After praying the sinner's prayer, he actually began to believe in Jesus in fact, he said something like scales had fallen from his eyes, just like what happened to the Apostle Paul, simply because Shlomi believed and he had dared to pray the sinner's prayer. Because time is so short, I want to challenge you also to dare to say with me what the Bible declares, that we are all sinners in need of the world's only Savior, Jesus, who came to die on our behalf. And if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and if you're willing to confess through their mouth, Jesus is Lord, the Bible declares you shall be saved. Amen. Thanks for sharing your time with me today. And if you have any comments or questions, you can find me through social media. And be sure to check out our extensive website, exploits.tv. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel app, to access our videos and Bible reading plan. 
We also offer many e-books at our website on a variety of important subjects, including this one entitled All Eyes Riveted on the Temple Mount, covering much of our topic today. Until our next time together, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>